Evening everyone. I have to speak on this passage tonight so I just want to take some distance. Yeah. I think if we had uh, some sort of shield that would be helpful that I could peer through just for the first six verses. After that I can come forward a little bit. Uh, man up. All right. Why did I get this passage? Who appoints the preachers, Pastor David? I do. Oh. Mistake, wasn't it? Who doesn't have a submissive wife? Okay, verse 7. Let's pray, especially for me. Heavenly Father, it's a great joy always to be with your people. Open your word to learn together, to be probed and proded, to be um, wowed by seeing, seeing things we haven't seen before, by being instructed and corrected, and ultimately by being aligned and shaped to be more like the Lord Jesus, to be a people who will please and honour you. That's our desire, Lord, to be a people who live for you in this world in such a way that you're honoured and your kingdom is extended, your name is glorified. So we pray tonight that you might help us by your spirit to look at this text, look at this passage of your word and to make appropriate responses to it. So speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' name. And everybody said... This whole section of Peter, what he's writing to his letters, Peter, wherever he is, some say in Rome and some say in Babylon, depending on chapter 5 and whatever it is, verse 12 or 14, he says in Babylon, if it's literal or metaphorical... Wherever Peter is, he's writing to a group of Christians whom he's had some input on and he's trying to encourage them to live as passionate followers of the Lord Jesus. And he's acknowledging that we live in a world which is fallen, we live in a world which is hostile to the names and claims of Christ. We're called to be and we will be as we are obedient, we will simply be different. We will respond differently as we are obedient to the Lord Jesus. We won't do it perfectly because we are fallen and sinful and sometimes we will stumble and sometimes we'll get it wrong and the Bible is pretty clear on what we need to do is pick ourselves up, confess to God, admit that we did wrong and get back on course and continue to live in obedience and doing that which he requires us to do. I think this whole section, it goes from chapter 2 verse 13 almost to the end of chapter 3, but certainly to the end of 3.12, of how to live in this hostile world. The heading is with an attitude of submission. Submission to those who are in authority to us, ultimately in submission to the Lord Jesus and being obedient to him. And the Lord says to us, he wants us to have loving, harmonious relationships. Loving, harmonious relationships. Love for God and love for people go hand in hand can't be separated we cannot be a people if we're going to be consistent followers of the Lord Jesus we cannot be a people who say I love God and I don't care about people I'm all about loving God worshipping him and honouring him and knowing his word and knowing theology and uh, giving to his cause and his kingdom and I'm God orientated that's only half the case because God says, if you will really love me, then you will love my children, people. 
That's Jesus' response. The whole Bible can be summarised in this, the greatest commandment, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and to love others, to love your neighbour as yourself. Hand in hand, they go together. So this passage is calling us to examine our lives and to orientate ourselves to being committed to being in loving, harmonious relationships. What do you think of straight away when I use that phrase? Loving, harmonious relationships. Got anybody you're not in harmony with? Got anybody you're not loving towards? Got anybody you're out of step with? Estranged from? Irritated by? Anybody come to mind? Then God wants you to do something about that. This passage will certainly direct us. The word to pursue reconciliation, to pursue peace, in order that we can be a people who are in loving, harmonious relationships. Whether you're married or not married, in all your relationships, loving, harmonious relationships. Peter begins this section, chapter 2, verse 13, by saying, Be submissive to every human institution for the Lord's sake, whether to a king as supreme or to governors as those whom he's commissioned with a particular task in the world. For God wants you to silence the ignorance of foolish people, by doing good, by being in loving, harmonious relationships. It will silence people. They will not be able to explain. This is not the way of the world. This is counter-cultural and it's counter our nature. Our nature, our sinful nature, certainly wants to assert itself. It wants its own way. But God calls us not to assert or to demand our own way but to be considerate of others. Verse 16 says, live as free people, not using your freedom as a pretext for evil, but as God's slaves, as God's servants, as those who are in complete submission to him. Honour all people. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honour the king. They're the general statements he gives to this group of Christians that he's writing to of how to live in this hostile world. And then he works it out. And he targets various relationships. Last week, Pastor David told us, taught us about slaves and slaves attitude back in the Roman world and their attitude towards their masters and how they ought to be responding they're following the example of the Lord Jesus who left us an example and then he still in the home in the household then focuses upon the marital relationship husbands and wives six verses for the women one verse for the husband that's about right I think We are to live as Christians in our marriages. And firstly, he targets the women. Now, for some of you who are married, this will be good news. For those of you who are not married, then either you're thinking about it or you're a person who is single and it's still important for you to know. It's good for you to know what the Bible says about what does God expect of wives because God may very well use you in relationships with those who wrestle with some of these very issues. Here is my outline for tonight. Verses 1 to 6 talks about the silent preaching of a lovely wife. The silent preaching or the silent influence of a lovely wife. Verse 7, the necessity of a considerate husband. We'll just through that one. And verses 8 to 12, the ripples of a healthy church community in a hostile world. How all of us, husbands, wives, slaves, masters, everybody, he comes to that at the end. This is a passage that certainly is worth memorising, verses 8 
to 12 because it gives us very clear guidelines on loving, harmonious relationships in all of our relationships. Well, let's jump in. What's the influence of a God-trusting wife? He begins verse 1 by saying, in the same way. In the same way as what? Well, in the same way that slaves are submissive to their, uh, to their masters. Well, yes. But really, in the same way that Jesus has set us an example, just like he was submissive under God's will and direction for his life, so wives, in the same way, be submissive to your own husbands. This is something you are to decide to do. It's not something for the husbands to decide for you to do. It doesn't say husbands, tell your wives to be submissive. It says wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. This is the directive of Scripture. These are the instructions of our Maker. The God who invented marriage, these are his instructions and it would be foolishness to simply ignore them. But it certainly goes against our grain. The Bible is filled with various attitudes of authority and submission to it. <clears throat> and as a kingdom-oriented person, as a follower of the Lord Jesus, we need to be aware of this and to be obedient to it. The whole universe is in submission to God, to Jesus. Citizens are to be in, in submission to government. Members of a church are to be in submission to elders. The church is to be in submission to Christ. Demons are in submission to Jesus. Servants are to be in submission to masters. Wives are to be in submission to husbands. Children are to be in submission to parents. There are authority structures and things to do. If you are a wife, then here is a good question for you. Are you submissive in your heart, in your attitude? Verse 6 is one of my favourite verses in the whole Bible. Like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham, calling him Master. I think that's fantastic. I think Rhonda should call me Master. Lord. Not just the words. She has called me those words over the years. Yeah, do you hear the laugh? But it's got to come from the heart. Man, uh, I heard the story of a, a lady who went to bed one night. She jumped into bed and she said, Lord, I'm tired. Her husband said to her, Sweetheart, in the privacy of our bedroom, I'm sure it's okay if you call me Jim. <laughs> Wives, you are to submit to your husbands. What if he's an unbeliever? Well, that's exactly the issue that Peter picks up on. He, in fact, says, if you're married to someone who is disobedient to the word, I'm assuming that means someone who is disobedient to the gospel, someone who is not a believer. So, again, I'm assuming it's a couple who have gotten married and she's become a Christian. And then she's faced with the dilemma back in the ancient world and she's wondering, now that I'm a Christian and he isn't, should I divorce him? Should I separate from him? What should I do? Should I assume authority over him because I'm spiritually in obedience to Jesus and he isn't? What should I do? And Peter's instruction is, no, the same. Submit to your husband. And even if he's an unbeliever, then 
be committed to the fact of living an authentic life, of being truly submissive to the Lordship of Christ in your life. And then your life will be an influence on him. Peter says, verse 1, then even if some are disobedient to word, they will be won over without a word by the way you live when they see your pure and reverent conduct. Reverent conduct refers to respect, both respect for God but also respect for the person, the husband, respect for him. Pure conduct refers to morality, of doing that which is right. When they see, when the husband sees that you are a changed, transformed, moral, upright person, he'll be asking questions. Why the change? What's happened for you? And that'll have an influence upon him. And it's even possible, Peter says, that without you saying a word, he'll be attracted to the gospel, but he'll be won over to the Lordship of Christ. That's the duty of wives. And again, let me emphasise, it's not the duty of husbands to say to the wives, you have to submit to me, you have to do what I want. That's not what the passage is saying. It's saying to the wives, your attitude has to be one of, I will submit to him. Does that mean I never give my opinion? No, it doesn't mean that at all. You give your opinion, but you do so submissively. Does it mean I never disagree? No, it doesn't mean that. Of course you can disagree. But you disagree submissively. You're not going to argue and push and demand your way. You submit. That's what it means. What's the husband's will? Peter doesn't pick up on what the husband's attitude until all the way down in verse 7. But it's coming. And the husband has a particular attitude that he is to have towards his wife. And the wife is not to submit if the husband does that. The wife is to submit whether he does it or not. That's the command, that's the instruction, that's the way there will be harmony in the marriage and there will be a demonstration of the life of Jesus in the life. Ruth Graham makes a comment that she found it a great relief when she realised that it wasn't her job to change her husband, Billy Graham. It's not my job to change him, my job was to love him. It was God's job to change him. So wives, love your husbands, submit to them, guide them, direct them, be an example to them of what it means to be a follower of the Lord Jesus. He goes on to pick on what women are, generally speaking, occupied with. My daughter's getting married next Saturday and I have spent the last I don't know, weeks with my wife about these sorts of issues. Let your beauty not simply be external. Now I put in not simply be. The text says let your beauty not be external. Peter's not saying it's okay to be ugly. He's not saying that. Let your beauty not be only external. The braiding of the hair, the wearing of gold jewellery or fine clothes. But rather emphasize the inner person the lasting beauty of a gentle quiet spirit that's precious, that's valuable even to God, that's priceless is it a fair comment to say that women spend a lot of time worried about their outward beauty I think so, does it mean men aren't no, no, men do too but perhaps less so And we can fall into the mistake, particularly in our world, but nonetheless in the ancient world as well, 
we're in a world of affluence and a world of luxury, we can emphasise that. That we become all consumed with how we look and we're not as concerned a bit with how we act or how we feel or our attitude. And that's the corrective. Peter is not saying, don't do your hair, don't dress up, don't wear makeup, don't wear gold juice. He's not saying that. What he is saying is, don't emphasise that to the neglect of the other. It's okay to get your hair braided, it's okay to get your hair done, it's okay to wear gold jewels, it's okay to wear clothes. <laughs> well, you see, some churches have said, on the basis of this text and others, but this text, women therefore should not braid their hair, they should not wear gold jewellery, and they should not wear fine clothes. The Greek text actually says, let your beauty not to be external, the braiding of hair, the wearing of gold jewellery or clothes. Any girls here tonight wearing clothes? You're disobedient. That's the, stu- the illogicality of those people who are wanting to say, you can't do that, you can't do that, you can't do that. That's not what Peter is saying. Don't emphasise those things. Uh, it's okay for ladies to wear makeup, isn't it, fellas? You gutless wimps. I think it is. I think it's very important. I know what I said. <laughs> but the emphasis is to be upon the inner person of the heart, your own spiritual relationship with the Lord. That's the primary emphasis. Peter says in verse 4 that this is an imperishable quality. All those other things, outward beauty, ages, deteriorates. But the inner beauty of a quiet and gentle spirit, of a lady who is committed to the Lord Jesus, of a lady who is godly, caring and compassionate towards others is ageless. It does not deteriorate with time. and In fact, it grows and develops. That's what you want. That's what you want, ladies, and fellas, that's what you want to look for in the girl. You want to find a lady who is gentle and quiet in her heart. That will be imperishable and priceless over the years. And I would say that I found that in my wife. She told me to put that one in came across this quote, I thought this was nice. People are like stained glass windows. They can sparkle and shine when the sun is out, but in the darkness, beauty is only seen when there is a light within. That's not bad, is it? You need the light within. You need the Lord Jesus in your life, demonstrating his qualities. Well, Peter goes on to say, look, this is not new. This is not something he's inventing. Verse 5, for in the same way, the holy women who hoped in God long ago, that's how they adorned themselves, by submitting to their husbands. He gives a classic example of Sarah who obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. You have become her children when you do what is good and you have no fear in doing so. When did Sarah call Abraham Lord? It's in Genesis chapter 18 and it's verse 12 and it's in the Greek text, not the Hebrew text. 
it's where God comes and he says that you're going to have a son in your old years and she's in the tent and she laughs. It's that story. And it's where she's thinking and she thinks, how can I have a child when my Lord is old? It's that attitude of heart, my Lord. The one I submit to, the one I am committed to. That's her attitude and that's what Peter picks up on. But also think about other examples in her life. When God called Abraham to leave Ur of the Chaldeas and go to wherever it was going to be, imagine Abraham coming home. Sarah, sweetheart, we're moving. Where are we going? I don't know. Why? Well, God told me to go. What about family and friends? No, we have to leave them behind. Her attitude? She submits. She obeys. She complies. She goes with him. Well, that's the attitude Peter is saying that wives should have towards their husbands. Not to follow blindly, uh, but to follow, to speak up, to be involved. And certainly in even chapters 12 and 20 of Genesis, of the book of Genesis, you know where Abraham tells her, you know, you're my half-sister, tell people you're my sister so that they won't kill me. And she follows that, even on those questionable things when he is concerned about protecting himself, she is submitting to him. It's the words and tone of the heart. And ladies, you become her children when you do the same thing with nothing to fear. And I think Peter is referring to there, if you're fearful about it, well, if I submit to my husband, what if? What if he is selfish? Well, you're going to have to work this stuff out, but speak up and tell him so, but eventually it's submit and trust in God. Let God work his purposes out in your marriage and in your relationship. Because Peter will go on to tell us that God is watching and God is listening and God will respond. What if he beats me? Do I have to submit? No. Word to the husbands or fellas, never, ever, ever hit a woman. Never hit your wife and never do so in anger. Absolutely. Never hit your children in anger. Ladies, I say, and I've been saying it for decades, if your husband hits you, leave immediately. Don't be there for the second hit. You need to get out of the house. You need to protect yourself. You go to a safe place and then we can sort out the mess. Don't hang around. Don't submit to that sort of physical abuse. What if he wants to support me in doing something which is wrong? No. Do you have to submit to that? Well, you need to work it out with God, but my answer is no, you don't. Because it says in verse 2, when they see your pure and reverent conduct, which is implying and assuming that your submission is in harmony with God's will and purposes in your life. So, summary for wives, submit to your husband's in other words, be supportive, not attacking, not attacking, not arguing for your way, not asserting your way. Certainly presenting it, but not insisting on it. Be respectful and pure in your behaviours. Trust God to work through you. Develop the inner beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. And it's not, I'll submit if, it's, I'll submit. Because that's what God wants me to do. Okay? That's why. Husbands. Now it's only one verse that's packed full of meaning. Husbands, in the same way, just like wives, in the same way, 
referring back to the example of Jesus and to the other passages beforehand. So husbands, you have a role as well. Treat your wives with consideration. And this may be offensive to some, but as the weaker partners and show them honour as fellow heirs of the grace of life. In this way, nothing will hinder your prayer. Husbands, fellows, you've got a role as well. Firstly, you are to dwell with your wife with understanding. Treat your wives with consideration. That's how the Net Bible translates it. Or dwell with your wife with understanding. Understand her likes and her preferences. Get to know her strengths and her weaknesses. Know her emotions and her spiritual maturity. Get to know her. Think about her and be thoughtful of her. In the decisions you make, be thoughtful of how this will impact her and influence her. You are to show her respect as somebody who is weaker. Well, certainly, physically, usually, But there's also the possibility that what Peter is referring to is to treat her as somebody weaker, not just physically, but somebody who is um, priceless, somebody who is very precious, like a precious porcelain vase, something which is very delicate. Treat her like that. Treat her very carefully and very gently. And remember that she is your spiritual equal. She's co-heirs of the grace of life. Big warning for husbands. Your attitude to your wife will have consequences for you spiritually. Peter says, in this way nothing will hinder your prayers. Now he may mean, well if you're out of sorts with the missus, then you're not going to pray with her and you may not even want to pray for her. Well that's hindering prayer. But I think there's another dimension. If you're old enough and you have kids and they're married and if you're a dad then I am sure that as a father there would be times when you wish that you could have an influence or have a say over your son-in-law over the way he treats your daughter. You would like to intervene. Well I think God is exactly the same. And the way that we treat his daughters, he does something about it. And it'll hinder our prayers with him because of our wrong attitude, if it's wrong, towards our wife. If you're out of sorts with your wife, and as far as God is concerned, you're out of sorts with him. Fix this up before this takes effect. Loving God and loving others, hand in hand. Right in the very marital home. That's what Peter, I think, is saying. God is very particular about us fellows, of how we treat our wives. We are to live with them with consideration, with understanding, to treat them gently, to show them honour as our spiritual equals of the grace of life. And if we don't, they have spiritual consequences. Well, Peter moves on and he then moves to everybody. Having gone from slaves and masters now he's, and hus- wives and husbands, uh, now he goes to everybody in the Christian church, in the family, in the community. Verse 8 and following, he says, Finally, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, affectionate, compassionate and humble. 
don't return evil for evil or insult, but instead bless others because you are called to inherit a blessing. Peter's been reading the Psalms and he quotes the passage here. This is how I've put it together. I think verses 10, 11 and 12 is Peter's, Peter's been reading this part of God's word and verses 8 and 9 is his journal entry. This is his response, his reflection. This is his application of what he thinks God is saying through the psalmist. The psalmist says, verse 12, uh, verse 12, for the one who wants to love life and see good days, who doesn't? Everybody wants to be happy. We want to love life and see good days. Well, this is how. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from uttering deceit. Watch what you say. Secondly, turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace, thirdly, and pursue it. Why? For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the Lord's face is against those who do evil. Verses 10 to 12 is out of Psalm 34, verses 12 to 16, and it's Peter's reflection. When the psalmist says, if you want to live a good life, he doesn't mean a life which is free from problems or issues. Because in Psalm 34, when you read it through, he will talk about fears and troubles, afflictions, and even having a broken heart. A good day to the psalmist to David is a day in which I experience God's nearness and God's presence in my life. Well, how do I get that? How do I experience God's nearness? It says these four things. Tame your tongue, turn from evil and do good, track down peace and trust the Lord. Tame your tongue. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceit. Watch what you say. Because when you say the wrong thing, you're going to have a bad day. So therefore keep your tongue under control. Avoid gossip, derogatory remarks, Attacking statements, hurtful comments. Watch your tongue. Not just what you say, but also watch what you do. He then says, turn from evil and do good. There's no retaliation. If you want to know God's presence in your life, we live in a hostile world, an evil world, where evil presents itself with many, many opportunities. And evil is primarily living for ourselves in total disregard for God or for others. I want my way. And the psalmist is saying, well, if you want to know God's presence in your life, then choose not to do evil. Choose to go God's way. Choose to do that which is right, to do good, which Peter's going to expand. The psalmist goes on to say, uh, seek peace and pursue it, verse 11 to be a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. As far as it depends on you, the Apostle Paul says, live in peace with all people. As far as it depends upon you. It doesn't always depend upon you. You can be estranged from somebody and you've done everything that you possibly can to be reconciled, to be at peace, but they're not interested or they won't play the game. So you can't do anything. But as far as it depends upon you, Do what you can to be reconciled. Do what you can to be restored or to make peace. And then finally, watch your tongue. Turn away from evil when it presents the opportunity. When somebody insults you, don't retaliate. When somebody does something wrong, don't respond in kind. Do good. Pursue peace. 
with people, with in all relationships, and trust God. Verse 12 is a beautiful verse. For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. He's watching. And his ears are open to their prayer. God is watching and he's listening. You. In the circumstances of your life, and where we stuff it up, when we get it wrong, then the Lord's face is against those who do evil. When we respond, when we retaliate in kind to those who mistreat us, then we really um, distance ourselves from God. We put ourselves against God. We no longer leave the opportunity open for God to come to our defence. We've come to our own defence. So Peter, having read that psalm, reflects upon it and he writes then these words to all of the church community. Verse 8, finally he says, All of you be harmonious, sympathetic, affectionate, compassionate and humble. I think he's reflecting primarily upon doing good. These are the attitudes that we are to be developing in ourselves. I'll take a few minutes on each. Harmonious talks about being of one mind and it's not our mind it's his mind being united of seeking to get along with others not being self-willed but committed to harmony not demanding my own way or judging others who don't agree with my way it's being a team player that's what we're to be in our relationships to give others room to be different most certainly (coughs) but to have a commitment to being harmonious. And the only way for people who are so different, different personalities, different backgrounds, different gifts, different interests, the only way for us to be harmonious together is by being committed to God and to his word of pursuing his will. The mark of a biblical community is not absence of conflict. The mark of a biblical community is not absence of conflict but the presence of a reconciling spirit. The mark of a biblical community is not the absence of conflict. Conflict will happen. We are fallen and we are sinful and we live in a hostile world. That's not the problem. The problem is when we do not have a commitment to being reconciled, a forgiving attitude that reaches out to the one from whom we are estranged. Peter says we are to be sympathetic, to identify with the feelings of others, to walk a mile in their shoes, to do all we can for others to feel accepted, loved and cared for, to have brotherly love. It's true that we are to be loving and it's not talking about liking people. We are to be loving towards them. We don't have to like them. That's true. But when you act in a loving way towards others, before very long you will begin to like them. Feelings follow actions. And so if you have brothers or sisters in the church community whom you don't like, the thing to test is are you acting in love towards them? Are you thinking correctly? Are you acting correctly? Because your feelings are saying, I don't like them. Well, there's either something wrong with our thinking or there's something wrong with our actions. That's worth examining. Brotherly love, we are called to be affectionate towards one another, to be compassionate, 
There's deep inner feelings. Not simply going through Christian duty, but being caught up <coughs> in affection for one another. And finally, to be humble, to be courteous, to be polite. To be aware that we are all fully dependent upon God and that Jesus is the example. Not, am I doing better than them, but how do I do compared to him? Such an examination will produce humility in us. Then he goes on to reflect again the psalm <coughs> that we are not to return evil for evil. When someone slaps you on the right cheek, the Lord Jesus says, turn to them the other rule. So when someone gives you an insult, when they put, put you down, when they call you a name, when they are sarcastic, when they are attacking you, the natural thing is to respond. The godly thing is to not respond, not outwardly. When an evil opportunity presents itself, the Bible says here, turn away from evil. Hold it within. And to return, contrary to the world and to natural standards, a blessing. To speak good things, not bad things. To tall order. But this is the call that God gives us. You see, we can choose to live on three levels. We can choose to live on the satanic level, which is where people do good things and we give them evil. We can choose to live on the sinner's level, which is where people do good things for us and we do good things back. People do bad things to us and we do bad things back. Good for good, evil for evil. That's the sinner's level, the world's level. Or we can live on the saint's level, which is where Jesus calls us to be, which is where people do evil to us, bad things to us, but we do good back. That's the call that Peter is giving us. To live out the example of the Lord Jesus. Well, this is the passage for us as followers of the Lord Jesus. Summary, what does it say for wives? Submit to your husband. Be supportive not attacking or arguing for your way, respectful and pure in your behaviour, with a deep inner beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, trusting God as you obey his will. Husbands, to be considerate of your wives, respectful and prayerful. For all of us, husbands and wives and everybody, watch your attitudes, your actions and your words. Tame your tongue. Turn away from evil and do good. Pursue peace where there is estrangement and trust God to work things out. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example and the love of the Lord Jesus. An example which is too far high for us to achieve perfectly, but nonetheless for us to strive for. Lord, I pray for the assistance of your Spirit that he might help us Help our wives to be obedient and compliant to these truths in your word and to be blessed from you as they do so. Lord, I pray for our husbands especially that you'll help them to be considerate, to be respectful, supportive and prayerful to be the heads of their homes. And I pray for us as a church, Lord, that you would help us to have loving, harmonious relationships, relationships that will please you. 
help us to do good to one another and to others. That when we are hurt or when people do evil to us, insult, not to retaliate, but to bless and to do good. Where we are estranged, help us to pursue peace. And Lord, in all of these things, we trust you, that you'll work out your purposes and that you'll bring honour to Jesus through the way that we live. We ask these things in his name and for his sake. Amen.